Oh, it's me. That's right. I forgot. Hello, and welcome to Gom Jabber with the Mod Weebs, a Dune podcast both thorough and flippant. We're drinking our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune, one chapter at a time, uncovering the deepest of secrets and Dune conspiracies along the way. I'm Josh Stevens, our truly, our, the. I, I don't know who I am. I'm, I am nothing. I am, I am the now. <laughs> and I am here with, uh, with Lily Brislin and Alec Boyle. Uh, Lily, tell them about you. Hello. What up, nerds? It's your reverend mother, Lillian Banana Moyam Gaius Helen Brislin, in case you forgot my full name. Uh, Is there a banana in there? Keep. I, I would never. Don't call me out my name, Josh. Uh, converter of the water of life, converter and condemner of the patriarchy, and um, keeper of the header snacks. I have none tonight. I'm a little. I'm a little hungry. So uh, take it away, Alec. I am Alec Boyle, the Baron Harkonnen of this podcast, uh, your accomplisher of assorted small tasks that keep us vaguely looking like a real podcast, but obviously not actually. Uh, and tonight, uh, I am wearing my own piss-strained trousers because somebody just set off an atomic bomb in uh, what I think was a mountain range and got rid of it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yep. Spoiling the old chapter 46. <laughs> uh, who wants to read the quote? I think Lily does. Oh, wait, wait, Lily. No, we made you read the last quote. I'll read the quote. It's a hard one. Hold on. <laughs> it has lots oh, of words. Oh, foreshadowing. And that day dawned when Arrakis lay at the hub of the universe with the wheel poised to spin from Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Aru. All right. Um, do we want to talk about that now, or should I give like a, a an interesting um, abstract 30-second rundown? Literally everything I, I have to say about that quote rundown. I said last week, so let's go into your abstract. Okay. Here's, so, my, here's my rundown. No, and then... No, 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 no rundown. I'm going to do my rundown, then you can do your rundown. No, mine will be worse. No, fine. no, 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 no. My rundown is just a selection of quotes, pretty much a quote from each page. Um, it's it's just like a few words, just to kind of summarize each page. Um, and they're in, they're, I mean, they are in order. They do come chronologically, um, but it really starts off with, "Will you look at that thing?" <laughs> Followed by, "You're exposing yourself, Maudib. <laughs> the storm is coming. They've even brought their women." <laughs> <laughs> they are being watched. Can you not feel it? What's eating you? <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> Stop. I'm only halfway through. <laughs> that wasn't one. That was just me. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, back to it. Stilgar stiffened. <laughs> that monstrous metal tent. Oh my god. Watch the flagpole. <laughs> Chomrag. 
<laughs> oh man. There's three left. There's three. Oh, God. <laughs> we blow it. <laughs> Fuck. Tell them to use their hands. <laughs> and finally. Take anything. Okay. Chuckle and rub its hands within. <laughs> that's it. That's the chapter. No, that's the podcast. We're done. Everybody go home. That's done. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. Thank you for joining us for Gom Jabber with Mod Leaves. This has been our final episode. I didn't write it. I didn't write those are literal quotes. I just randomly picked a bunch of quotes from this chapter. <laughs> wow. I mean, I have to say, I think that's deep literary analysis, actually. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you really got to the heart of Frank's uh, subliminal sexualizing of engineering feats. <laughs> really, it was the will you look at this thing that started this whole thing. Okay. I mean, I know you meant it as a joke and laughed the whole time, but I think it's some cogent analysis. Thanks. Uh, once again, Josh, you have stumbled into <laughs> really astute textual analysis. That's what I'm here for, guys. Mm. My dweebs. Wow, yeah, I, I mean, I'm done, though. Like, I'm spent. <laughs> I'm hurting. That was hard to do. Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. I'm... Alright, does it... Oh. I mean, I feel like the, the the listeners, if they haven't already read the chapter, they have a pretty good idea what happens based on that, but... Well, that's, that was my point. That was, that was the 30-second rundown. Yeah, it did it. <clears throat> Lily, did that make <sighs> the chapter a little more engaging? <laughs> yeah, I'm into some, like, tense sexual things over atomics and communications devices and strategic troop movements bore the shit out of me. I was like, skimmy, skim, skim. Oh, there's a bat once. Um, moving communications technology. They blew down the shield walls. Great, great grandmother of a storm. I love that they call storms women's names, but that's what we all do. You know, wait, did they? Boom. Yeah. What was it called? Great, great grandmother. Great. No, they didn't give it a name, but they called it a great, great. Oh, I think they're just showing respect. Um, uh, my question is, I think this was maybe one of the first times that Frank described something that to me didn't become a vivid image. And that was this huge monstrous metal tent. I mean, is it literally just like a metal s structure, like a pyramid over the over the ship? Like, I, I had a hard time picturing I'm with you, Josh. I was reading it, and he kept re-describing it, but just using the same words and phrases, and I was like, you keep saying big metal tent, and it's not evoking the image that you think it's evoking. Like, how big is it? And we were already talking about a big ship. And it has floor. It has multiple stories, which... So it's, a, it's the Luxor. Yes, yeah, so it's not a tent. It's a temporary structure, right? Like... <sighs> This is for was your other more podcast like about sandwiches, Josh, but a tent is, by definition to me, something suspended over the ground, right? Like, once you add floors and structural walls, that's not a tent anymore. 
yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a structure of okay. m- more p- massive proportions than a tenth. All right, for our listeners. And does it even have a sphincter? An, an amazing, no sphincter on this job one. of describing what's happening in this chapter. We open with Paul and his and his dudes, his Fedekin, mm-hmm. looking down FedEx kin. on Fedekin. FedEx kin. They can see the arrow, much like Jess's prescient child. And they're looking down on the emperor's encampment. And we are debating the nature of the tent that that Frank describes, which is very confusing. And it's we've just left to know that it's metal and it's large. And is it literally over the the ship? My impression is that it comes out of the side of the ship. A side what? Of the, what? A pyramid out of the side well, of the ship? Well, I mean, ship? I can show you a tent that comes out of the side of a car right now if you want. Well, I know I guess that's true. No, I guess that's... <laughs> Who uses those, Alec? I mean, really. <sighs> All right. Five legions. This metal tent holds five legions. But here's the thing that I I needed y'all to clarify for. So, out of the metal tent, out of the metal Luxor with the five legions of the Emperor's army and the Sardaukar, they fly a chome flag. Yeah. And I get very confused. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that was I think one of the more Yeah, yeah. that was I like that part. You want you want to do it? You want you can you can do it. You sure. Want to it? So That's because I was very disinterested and I was like, "Ugh, I don't get flipping." Uh, yeah, I think if you'd pay if you've been interested in paying attention, you'd have gotten it, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. um very true. I I forget exactly who asks for it, right? But uh, either the Harkonnens or the Atreides says, please fly the flag of whoever's actually in charge here. Right? And so... They say it to they them? They say it to the Emperor. When? I don't know, by message. Um, With a bat? Okay, I, that's the part I missed. I thought that they were just looking down at it and suddenly this flag, flag flies. Um, no, and so then, right, if he flies a Harkonnen flag, he's saying, yeah, no, the Harkonnens are still in charge here, no matter what. They, you know, no matter how hard they fail. And by here you mean Iraq. Yes. And okay. if it's an Atreides flag, he's saying, oh, I know that you are, in fact, Paul, Duke Paul Moadib. And I acknowledge <laughs> that, right, because the other thing that's interesting and important about that is that the Harkonnens reclaiming the fief is based on the theoretical extinction of the Atreides. Legally, it, if there's yeah. still a legitimate Atreides alive that would, in theory, undo the transfer of dominion. And so they're saying, do you acknowledge that I am, you know, I am that I am. Was, so was it that, that you know, they, re- they released those Sardaukar that they had, that Sardaukar that they had mm-hmm. captured? They sent them back. Yeah, I think that's Sardaukar had been released. Um, and they sent them back with that message, basically telling the emperor uh... to fly the flag. And that's when the Chomrag shows up. right and so that's right that's a fairly good bit of uh describing the politicking right where he the the emperor says no hand you're right hands off whoever is actually in charge of the chome directorate right is who's in charge here and who is that well who knows do we not know uh well it also comes down to in theory right the atreides like leto was the legitimate director of chome Oh, really? 
Yeah. I thought Chome was separate from all the houses. It is, but if you read back to that chapter, it's like, oh, part of what we get for taking control over Arrakis is... The directorship is, of the... Yeah. Lanzer- of the... Of Chome. Not the... Lanzarote's different. Right, right. I mean, it's not... It's not not boring and stupid. <laughs> but it does involve Have some politics. What's that, um, is it a Showtime show? Is it Succession? Where That's HBO. Got the H- if you watch that, no. it's sort of like those politics of the, oh, y'all, it's worth watching. It's I, I want to watch it at good. some point. Have you watched, I mean, this, we're getting, guys, this is kind of a Worlds Collide? Have you watched? I was trying to make a Worlds okay. Collide over board directorships yeah. and how there's all this jockeying within Ooh, I found the, I found the line, a though. single row. And then I was going to bring up Black Monday, which is also about board directorships. But let's listen to Josh talk about the book. <laughs> Ugh, what is this, a Dune podcast? Jeez, Josh. Oh, shit, I fucked up. This was actually the Baron. <laughs> this is actually the Baron <laughs> saying that um, they would have wealth, uh, not in your wildest imaginings, to start we'll have an irrevocable directorship in the Chome mm. Company. So that was what the Baron was That was what he was promised in exchange for offing. Oh, God, I can't wait. I can't wait to get to the next few chapters. There's so much that so comes. So was that also what the Duke was? Uh, no, I don't think he had the for? irrevocable one, right? I think he mm. had the uh, you, right? I think whoever's in charge of Arrakis, right, is part of your like fee for dealing with the Fremen. You get a Chome directorship, but and it, I don't know. It also seems like I have a hard time as a reader understanding. Where Chome ends and the guild begins. I have zero understanding of that. Like I, those are different. Those are different entities, though. Yeah, right? but I feel like they're both heavily tangled in spice production and the monitoring of like the airspace over the planet. That's it's so. Like that's the, so. No, that's the they... guild. That's the guild. But Chome has its hands in taxing everything in the universe. Hmm. The guild has a space travel. Chome is the IRS. <laughs> okay. What were you going to say, Lily? I was going to try to make a joke about the difference between the EPA and the oil industry. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Welcome to Bureaucracy <laughs> Hour on Gum Jabber. <laughs> Did you guys... Well, never mind. Max Weber talked about the iron cage of bureaucracy. <laughs> I was going to talk about the Trump administration running a commercial on the Department of the Interior Instagram page, but... I found it. Oh, now I found God. it for real. All right. Bring it in, research. So, it says, uh, <clears throat> by giving me Arrakis, his majesty is forced to give us a Chome directorship. A subtle game. Chome controls the spice. Right. Chome controls the spice. But also, to some extent, the guild seems to control the spice. I believe that the guild at least has a couple Chome directorships of its own. Very po- very possible. I mean, that, make, that makes sense. I mean... If Chome's into this is is the governing body of Spice and the no the guild the guild gets their See? Spice Chome's See? gonna tax the guild. You act like me and Lily were so dumb for not understanding yeah. this. Well, it says here in Arrakis with its Spice is our avenue into Chome. <laughs> There's more to Chome than Melange. <laughs> um, so I guess I don't know what there is what the more to Chome is. Rags mostly. No, I do. No, they're no they're into everything. I, I already said it. Fuck, now you got me all confused. That <laughs> was the plan all along. Well, welcome to our world, Josh. It's like uh, Amway. Okay, so, it's like Amway. They're in So the, the 30 second yeah. rundown of this chapter, which we haven't still not really done. Yeah, Lily had one. Lily, stuff. do yours. I don't know what you're talking it, about. It's the, Lily, what was yours? I already did it. It's the, Shit, really? It's Paul. I was probably. Okay. 
It's Paul and Stilgar having a little mini spat about whether or not it's appropriate to you commit some light war crimes in order to gain access to the basin where the Emperor has landed his ship. Uh, and then they do it. Uh, and then Paul has a couple ducal moments. Uh, and then they proceed to stabby stabby. Well, Paul's been talking about committing crimes like genocide of the whole planet, like for at least a couple chapters. True. So Stilgar should not be surprised that Paul does not balk at deploying atomic weapons. Yeah, no, it's his terrible purpose. Also, the thing that y'all haven't mentioned is like we seem to open a long time into this into this uh, war. They're saying like we've got everything else. Like there's that moment. Y'all want to talk about? No, like, oh, yeah. So they're talking about how, um, as the Beast Raban has has been cut off from the Harkonnens, um, he's slowly had to give up more and more ground. And yeah. so um, then, in the last chapter, they were talking about how there's all these ships, the Harkonnens, the um, the Emperor, the Guild, yeah, the so Dome, They're all I think they're this, all up in space. I think actually this is where we might be a little helpful if anybody else out there is having a little trouble with this timeline, right? I think that what basically happened was the Baron told Raban no more troops, right? Because this is the stage in him and Thufir's plan where Raban gets total, right? Gets shit-canned, right? Yep. He needs to look as bad as possible yeah. so they can shit-can him. Yep. But Raban was also at the same time, and we know from the very the only chapter really where he appears on screen back in like chapter two, right? That he's not as stupid as the Baron thinks he is. And one of the things that he is doing is basically not, once the Baron cuts him off, I think he stops telling the Baron how badly things are going mm -hmm. and seems to retreat even from his forward operating bases exclusively to the com compounds within the shield wall. So basically the cities, right? Mm -hmm. And then we know from the very end of the last chapter, where Paul saw the now, that the Emperor decided to call the Harkonnens and the whole Lonsrad, or actually, I think the Emperor, at the behest of the Guild, has basically brought the known universe to Arrakis to find out why spice production has slowed to a trickle. But when he gets there, Raban doesn't know that he's coming. The Baron doesn't know how badly things have gone for Raban. Right? And none of them know who Paul actually is or what he's got or what he's capable of. They don't know who Maudib is, right? Right. They don't, and they don't know what's actually going on in this planet, right? They don't understand that it's not like constant sabotaging of spice production. It's that literally the Fremen have conquered everything outside of the shield wall. And the only reason I think they haven't conquered inside the shield wall is because they were waiting for everyone to get here. Right? This is a staged meeting... Whoa not a war, right? Paul wanted to force the Emperor to the table and he had to do that through the Guild and making the Guild angry enough to bring the Emperor. And you talk about how confident the the Emperor must be to have brought all their women and, and servants and everything with them, along with their legions of Sardaukar in their metal tent. And that's not the, that's uh, not the last okay. time that will come up uh, throughout the book, actually. Right. So the emperor is just like, all right, what is this? What is this shim sham operation right. that's happening over here? I'm, we're gonna set up shop. We're gonna clean up house. Raban's just making a mess of things. Not like, oh my gosh, the 
the very means of spice production are under imminent threat. And I think what the Amber's also is. saying, I'm going to bring all of my mil- right. I'm going to show you how strong I am militarily. I'm also going to show you how rich I am. Right? That's why he brings his yes. whole entourage is to be like, no, like you guys, right? Like all these other rich people, right? The Lonsrod and the Harkonnens, they also see how much shit he brought and they're like, oh, he brought a lot of shit. Right? It's yeah. to impress them as much as it is to impress the Fremen. So this is all under the pretext that no one's going to attack Maudib because Maudib has the water of death and can end spice for everyone, and no one wants that. How does everybody else know? Because the guild that... can yes. see almost as much as Paul can. The guild is the leash. Mm, that was what was happening in the now. The That's guild what is was the happening. Leash he was seeing on the every guild other actor knowing. in got it so he he was seeing the guild knowing and that's and he says it even in this right he says the guild won't land anyone unless they right as long unless they know how they're going to behave basically and that was why that only that one ship landed and there was an interesting line about that which i thought was kind of cool i'm so glad you all are here to interpret all this for me (laughs) it was something like imagine (laughs) the circumstances that allowed this one ship to land percent of what alec i was like oh none of that i didn't catch any of that okay yeah so the guild is right the guild is the guild and paul have both arrived at this place and i think he said it in the last chapter right the the all roads lead to blackness that neither of them know what happens on the other side of this encounter and it scares the crap out of both of them but even more the guild And, and here's the line it says we choose the time paul Gurney says, if they let us, Paul says, the fleet will stay in, sp- in space. Gurney shakes his head. They have no choice, Paul said. We can destroy the spice. The guild dares not risk that. Desperate people are the most dangerous, Gurney says. Are we not desperate, Stilgar asks. And Gurney scowls at him. So that's... <laughs> Daddy drama! Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so the guild has known this all along, that the Fremen can destroy the spice? I think they figured it out... When I, Paul yeah, I think they didn't know it until Paul thought of the idea. And the second Paul thought, hey, I could just destroy the spice, this gate slams down over prescience. And the new desert power is he who can destroy a thing controls a thing. That's his new, that's his new tagline. <sighs> All right. <laughs> but how does the guild know? Because their own prescience? Yeah, because they can see the future, right? But any f- the guild, yes. yeah, that's how they. They're move so through. hopped up on spice, they can go through time. That's how they move space. through space because they can look across the universe and be like, uh, "Will there be a planet in that spot when I move this ship there?" So why is Paul special? Uh, because they, because <laughs> Paul, no, because Paul can also do the Benny Jesuit stuff. Like all they can do is sort of like one point, right? Like a guild navigator can be like, uh, "If I follow this idea, this happens." Paul can take yeah. in everything. He can, even though he's not great at it, see how the people are going to behave. He can see more, more and, doors. And to he can through. see backwards and right. The Benny Jesser can all see backwards forever, and the navigators uh-huh. can see forward. Paul can see both ways, and he can apparently see the now. <laughs> can we talk about Gurney now? Please, please. Because oh, after God. after Gurney scowls at Stilgar. Uh, Stilgar then says, oh, why is he so gloomy? 
And Paul says he's always gloomy before a battle. It's the only form of good humor Gurney allows himself. And then a slow, wolfish grin spreads across Gurney's face, the teeth showing white above the chipped cut of his still suit. It glooms me much to think on all the poor Harkonnen souls we'll dispatch, uh, he said. And Stilgar chuckled. He talks like a Fadaiken. I like that moment a lot. I lo- As someone who is, you know... Uh cantankerous to a fault it, it overjoyed me to see it described as a form of good humor right like mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought that was excellent characterization on frank's part and here's the line in italics that immediately follows after paul says gurney was born a death commando uh yes let them occupy their minds with small talk before we test ourselves against <laughs> that force on the plane it's like come on paul just have a laugh stop stop it stop Stop being the puppet master. But you didn't even. Has Paul, thing, has Paul told a joke this entire? Oh, the entire, entire book. A uh, best joke he told was that one at the dinner table where he freaked everybody out. Right. That's what I was thinking about. He was. It wasn't even a joke. It wasn't even a joke. Paul's best joke was a nightmare. It's true. Yeah. No, and that was really, also really funny. Is was that in italics? Yes. He's not puppet mastering. They're just doing it on their own. They're just and doing then he's it. like, yes, dance, my puppets. Yes, no, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, he did say uh, he's always gloomy before a battle. It's the only form of good humor going to allow himself. So he did kind of instigate it with that line lightening the mood. Yes. Um, but... So I guess he can give it, he, he's giving himself credit for the whole thing. He's palling it up. Uh, yeah, there's some, like, I, I feel like this chapter has a lot in common with Sphincter Tent. Like, it's a lot of Frank talking about ideas he's really excited about, right? Uh, I think atomic weapons as earth movers, right? All right, but here's, we are still not yet, they have yet to unleash the family atomics. We've heard about atomics. Aren't these the family atomics? I think these are the family atomics. These are the family atomics. It doesn't say family. Atomics. What other atomics are there here? The Fremen didn't say anything about atomics. I feel like if these were Fremen atomics, they'd have called them the Spice Atomics. Or Frem Fremtech Atomics. <laughs> All I'm saying is, if they were the family atomics, I'm saying the same argument. If they were family atomics, Mm-mm. they would have said they were the family No, we, they've introduced one set of atomics, and now they're bringing them back. Like, I think these are the family atomics. Um, and this is where it comes up, the whole uh, war crimes thing, because uh, Gurney decides to say... Um, but the injunction against, and Paul's like, ah, the injunction, it's fear, not the injunction uh, that keeps the houses from hurling atomics against each other. Plus, the language is clear. Use atomics against humans. Use of atomics against humans shall be cause for planetary obliteration. We're going to blast the shield wall, not humans. <laughs> I know, I, I did like that bit. Well, nice one, Paul. I mean, I guess what's also interesting there is that he's also saying, like, yeah, they're not going to obliterate Dune. Also, they're not going to obliterate us, because before they can, we're going to obliterate the spice. So, mm. Well, and I think also, if you nuke the whole surface of Dune, you kind of achieve a similar end. Right, but even if they decided, okay, we can't take out Dune, but we'll take out Paul. They can't take out Paul, because Paul will just take Paul out Dune. Paul will take out all the spice. I see what you're saying. They can't do a surgical yeah. nuclear strike. Right. <laughs> exactly. B- Bush-Reagan throwback. I wonder if they got that from dune they did they got it from starship <laughs> troopers don't worry guys dune as 80s geopolitics 
There was one more thing. Uh, here's my one more thing in this chapter where the Fremen are talking about whether or not they're going to align themselves with the city Fremen. And I had brought this up way back in our early dweeby days of like, are what are the different... Josh is yeah, he's wrong. Like I'm wrong right now. It doesn't say city Fremen. It says city man. Yeah, but they are... Paul clearly says that they are both pop both populations are Fremen. Where? God damn it. Anyway, Lily, keep making your point while I find evidence. I was just interested in if there are different sort of ethnic groups of Fremen. Mm, they have Fremen blood. Are ultimately, yeah, they're all five seventy six. Yes, is a social construct in all cultures or ethnicities. And so I just thought it was interesting that there was this boundary put up by the desert Fremen against yeah. city Fremen and that they're trying to overcome it. And he's like, oh, no. Paul's like, don't worry. The Harkonnens have totally screwed that pooch. They, the, your city bros hate them now. They're going to be. And essentially, we're going to use them as cannon fodder. We're going to send them to be the, the shock and awe technique and send them in to die first. Yep. That's effed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they specifically, right? One of their specific tactics is uh, if the cars show up in your CH, throw a baby at them to distract them. What? Wait a second. I, 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 what, Alec? Do your thing, then I gotta, gotta go back. All right, let's go back. I'm done. That, okay. The baby throwing will come up later. Don't worry. Fremen are human. Oh. Don't worry. This is not, it was not a spoiler. Yes. It's come up before. Okay, fine. Fremen are Fremen are human. Yes, they're all human. Fremen are human. The city people are human. Fremen is like a way of life. The people in the city have quote Fremen blood. What's the difference between Fremen blood? No, Fremen is an ethnicity. Okay, (laughs) but they're just so they're saying that when they populated the planet, some of these people went out into the desert, and some of them just stayed in the city. But the Fremen have only identified. But they have only identified with the ethnically Fremen in the desert as Fremen, they don't consider the city man to be Fremen. Sure. Differently Fremen. But like, that is their, that's like, that's the whole point is that it's like a prejudice. Okay. But then there's also Fremen on earth and other planets, presumably. No. Well, that's where they came from. Right. I mean, well, but I think this is an ethnicity that's newer than, like, I don't think anybody. Yeah. Now well, they're human. They, they came from they to... came from somewhere, and they could presumably still be there or elsewhere. There could be fremen in other well, places. Well, there are also... certainly right people who are uh, ethnically adjacent to the fremen on uh, Seleucus Secundus and other planets. That's mm-hmm. already come up. So I mean, you're right. It's like a distinction, both real and imaginary. But as are all yeah. such distinctions, and that's the point. Okay. Thank you for joining Alec for that section of Dunedinia <laughs> on how all races the social construct and ethnicities are cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it, Alec. I think. And so Lily's point was, it's kind of fucked up that just based on this, like, well, you live in a city, uh, we live in the country, we have decided that we are utterly devoid of commonality, uh, please go die on that Sardaukar's nut. Josh is really, really pondering something. Yeah, because the the Fremen have accepted Paul as their leader and one of them, right? Sure. He's not of Fremen blood, but he's now ethnically Fremen. No, he's 
Culturally Fremen. The, culturally Fremen. And they say, I never knew the city man could be trusted completely. And Paul says, I was a city man myself once. And then Stilgar stiffened. His face grew dark with blood. Uh, Maudib knows I did not mean. What is Paul's point? Because that they should... They're tr- that, that, that this is a social construct and that they should accept intent as more important than... And, episodes collide, he's falling back on the old anyone who hates Harkonnen can't be bad. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then he brings up the these people have Fremen blood. So he's just trying to tell them they've got your blood and they have your purpose and you're very similar. And even a city boy like me could... Uh, become could join respected among you so yeah so so get over it and i think he's also he's kind of shaming he's being like i'm not even from your planet and you guys accepted me maybe you should chill out about these guys who you're mad at because they had an extra cup of water this morning okay so because okay so <laughs> so this is actually the best thing paul's ever said maybe this might be the most like <laughs> maybe that's why it threw me I was looking for the shit, the shit that he was saying, and I had no idea that there was actually something, some gem here. Yeah. Okay. This is Paul at his was, closest to enlightenment. I'm like, what the fuck is Paul talking about? <laughs> but, oh, wait a second. That's why, okay. All right, no, I'm there. Okay. Well, thanks. Good. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about this, especially because J- Josh let all the wind out of our sails by starting the episode talking about how... Absolutely turgid with atomic lust, Frank was while he penned this down. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, Frank literally has a hard on for blowing up mountains. So, yeah. what we have to find out at the end is that they get a broken cryptic message over the airwaves that they can't quite decipher. Ah, uh, yes. Paul takes the remote and he listens to it. So, the message is raid on. Seach Tabar, captives Alia, families of dead are they, son of Muad'Dib. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Paul said, my son is dead. And he knew as he spoke it that it was true. My son is dead and Alia's captive. Hostile. So I have a cough. He felt emptied. A shell without emotion. He wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple questions here. The first one was, I, despite what it s- implies, at least in the text... Did Paul know this was going to happen? Why do you think that? Because Paul's supposed to fucking know what's going to happen. No, he knows the now. <laughs> I guess. I was just like... He only knows sometimes. He's not paying attention to that. He's not paying attention it's his to his blind son. Side. It's his blind side. He definitely isn't paying attention to his son. Has he even met his son? <laughs> that is a really interesting question. Uh, and I just kind of like when I read that, I was like, I half think he just let this happen because it was part of... The course he had seen, and he was just like... But what evidence do you have? Present, no, none. If he has seen none, it. None. If he has seen it. Paul being like, I can see every direction, uh, like two chapters Streets earlier. Ahead. Yeah, so... I don't buy it. If he can see the future, and he did see that future, then he probably knows the outcome and didn't give a shit. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Or he didn't see it, and he didn't know. Well, and so here's my other thing, right, is that... My, my other piece of evidence is extra textual, right, but... Frank said several times in like interviews and stuff, right, that the purpose or the message of the book is not to believe in heroes. True. Right. And I think that as the book gets further on, 
He's not just painting Paul as callous. I think at points he is painting Paul as bad. I buy that. And mm. uh, I wonder if to what extent this is part of that. That's interesting. Is him being like this guy who could see the future knew that his son was going to get killed in this raid and he made the trade-off, right? He doesn't say what it is, but like, oh, I need to be there to tell guys not to clear rubble with lasers or I can't tip my hand and let them know that I know, but like, I don't know why he has to do that. Here's here's my counterpoint, Alex, yes. and it's not the strongest one, but you also have no evidentiary base for your claims you're making, although your extra textual reference is good. I just don't think this is one of them. My son is dead, Paul said, and he knew as he spoke it that it was true, which implies that he did not know before. He true. Spoke. Okay. He knew right. as he spoke it that yep. it was true. Right. And that's not a thing he said. That's a thing he felt. So we have to assume that's... Yeah. He felt empty to show. And then we get to the closing chapter, the closing paragraphs, which I think are very strange. He could feel the old man... Oh! The accumulation of the experiences from countless possible lives. Something seemed to chuckle and rub its hands within him. What the fuck is happening? Is now there like a... There's a demon Muad'Dib that's possessing him? His old man possessions? What's happening? I don't know why I heard it as a, a job of the hut laugh. And then, well, you're not wrong. Neither of you are wrong. Um, I actually have to say that I only noticed that line on this read-through. Me too. And that is, in fact... Uh, Frank laying ground I did not realize he had laid for the mm. sequels. Oh. And part two of the Star Wars uh, call out here is they were told the odds. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. <laughs> oh, that feels like an organic conclusion to our Yeah, I think so. Josh, do you have any yep. more things? No, no, I was going to say that's my one. That was, my that was one. a good one. I liked it. That's a good one, Mark. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like this, all these chapters are like, they're like coal shovelers, right? Like the last three weeks, they've just been shoveling coal onto the fire that is the last two chapters, maybe even the last chapter, which is like 400 pages long, by the way. So. Good Lord. Uh, so a lot of this stuff doesn't pay off until you get to the final chapter. And so I'll be really interested in our, like, cool. keep an eye on your notes as you read the next few chapters. Because I think a lot of this All stuff right, is building. Alec isn't just saying that so you'll keep listening to our podcast. Our fearless intrepid listeners saying that because it's going to be good. It is. Uh, we forgot to plug ourselves last episode, but um, if everybody wants to check us out on the social medias, we are at gom underscore jabber, not jabr, uh, on Twitter. We're uh, at gom jabber on Instagram, and we are gom jabber podcast uh, at gmail.com if you want to tell us how wrong we are. Mostly tell Josh. Just any of your complaints for Josh, send them to josh at gmail.com. Yeah, please. Um, Take us out, dweeds. Later, nerds!